Good evening, forecasters. This is Michael Hendricks, owner of Press Forecast, with your latest episode of the Press Forecast. Tonight, we're going to be talking about the 6th and 7th quadrennial elections that took place in 1808 and 1812. Now, in an effort to kind of sync these up a little bit and make them a little more uh, specific, I'm going to do my best not to meander through some of these issues and just get through them. Hopefully this will actually cause for a little bit better of an episode, but it will more than likely cause it to be shorter. And that's perfectly fine because what matters is getting getting this information out. Now in 1808, uh, the election took place between Friday, November 4th uh, through Wednesday, December 7th of 1808. This election was between James Madison on the Democratic Republican side and Charles C. Pickney on the Federalist side. Now, if you listen to the last episode, you might be thinking, well, what about George Clinton? He was the current sitting vice president. Well, he did run, but he was not favored even among the outgoing president, Thomas Jefferson. So when we look at the Democratic Party, uh, Republican Party nomination, it ended up being James Madison uh, for president, George Clinton for vice president. That's right. Even though he was technically the outgoing vice president, and this is long before the two terms were set for the president and vice president, uh, he is running again. But the main candidates going into the caucus for the Democratic-Republican Party were Secretary of State James Madison, former U.S. Minister to the United Kingdom James Monroe, uh, hailing from Virginia, and of course, the sitting vice president George Clinton. Now, uh, the main thing that happens here, and this is why James Madison ends up becoming the nominee for the Democratic Republican Party, is because the outgoing president, uh, Thomas Jefferson, uh, who decided not to run for a third term, though at this time he could have, he threw his support uh, behind Madison instead of George Clinton. Now, a lot of things are happening during all of this. Uh, There is the Embargo Act of 1807 uh, that Madison was a huge part of, uh, but despite that, uh, he was still the nominee for president. Running on the Federalist side, uh, it was just two men. It was Charles C. Pickney, again, uh, for president, and then Rufus King for vice president. Now, before we get to the actual election, we do need to go through the caucus for the 1808 Democratic-Republican nomination. James Madison did win the caucus for president, securing 83 of the 89 uh, votes. James Monroe would come in second with third. George Clinton would come in third with three. And then on the vice presidential side, you had George Clinton securing 79 of the votes with John Langdon in fifth, Henry Dearborn in third, and John Quincy Adams, who remember that name for later episodes, garnering one vote. And again, uh, as I just stated, one of the main issues uh, in the campaign for this election was the Embargo Act of 1807, uh, a halt to trade with Europe that disproportionately hurt New England merchants, which favored the Federalists, and was perceived as favoring France over Britain. But Jefferson was still popular enough at this time when he left office 
that who he threw his support behind was seen as pretty much the gold standard for who be whoever became the presidential nominee was James Madison. Now, there was one thing I wanted to mention, but there it is, because it just caught my eye when I was looking through this information earlier. Monroe himself was supported by a group known as, you gotta love 19th century terminology, he was supported by a group known as the Tertium Quids. Uh, This is a faction of the Democratic Republican Party that uh, existed from 1804 to 1812. They supported a weak central government and were dissatisfied uh, with the Louisiana Purchase and the Compact of 1802. Clinton's support came from Northern Democratic Republicans who disapproved of the Embargo Act. Uh, So much the fact that they thought that this Embargo Act would actually lead towards war with Great Britain. And as it turns out, they were right. They also wanted to end the Virginia Dynasty with... Madison going up for election. Uh, this would ensure yet another man from Virginia taking the presidency. So let's go ahead and move on to the results. All right, so let's look at the Electoral College voting in this election. Uh, just looking briefly at this, uh, James Madison uh, overwhelmingly defeated Pickney, uh, garnering 122 electoral vote, uh, college votes to Pickney's 47. James Madison also carried 12 states to Pickney's 5, and he garnered 64.7 of the, ele- uh, the popular vote to Pickney's 32.4%. And just to go over the numbers real quick uh, per state, it doesn't have it broken down for some reason, which is still very odd to me. Uh, But for James Madison to get to his 122 electoral votes, uh, he picked up all six of Vermont's electoral votes. He picked up uh, 13 of New York's 19 electoral votes. Uh, He picked up all of New Jersey's eight electoral votes, all of Pennsylvania's 20, all of Ohio's three electoral votes, nine of Maryland's 11 electoral votes, all 24 of Virginia's electoral votes, all of Kentucky's seven electoral votes, all of Tennessee's five electoral votes, 11 of North Carolina's 14 electoral votes, uh, 10 of... South Carolina's electoral votes and all of Georgia's six electoral votes. Looking at Pickney, he did win most of the Northeast outside of Vermont and New York. He picked up all of Massachusetts' 19 electoral votes, all of Rhode Island's four, all of Connecticut's nine, all three of Delaware's. He did pick up two of the 11 Maryland electoral votes. Uh, He also picked up Six of New York's 19 electoral votes and three of North Carolina's 14 electoral votes. So when we look at this, uh, during this election, there were 175 total electoral votes, which the winner needed to pick up 88. James Madison again picked up 122, uh, easily defeating Charles Pickney, who picked up 47. George Clinton, who was the vice presidential nominee, picked up six. 
Now we look at the vice presidential uh, ticket. George Clinton, who is the incumbent running for re-election, picked up 113 of the 175 electoral votes. Rufus King picked up 47. Now, John Langdon, who is a Democratic Republican, actually did pick up nine of his own. James Madison, who was the presidential nominee, picked up three of his own. And James Monroe also picked up three. Now, just to go quickly over uh, how each state handled their electoral college election, uh, we had Connecticut, Delaware, Georgia, Massachusetts, New York, South Carolina, and Vermont. Uh, the way they did this is that each elector was appointed by state legislature. New uh, Hampshire, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, and Virginia chose their electors uh, were chosen by the voters statewide. And then Kentucky, Maryland, North Carolina, and Tennessee. Uh, their states were divided into two electoral districts, with one elector chosen per district by the voters of that district. So out of that, North Carolina gave up some of their delegates. New York gave up some of their delegates through their process, uh, as well as Maryland. So, you know, that's two of the three states who divided their their states into electoral districts with New York being the one that each elector was appointed by the state legislature. Going to move on into the popular vote. Uh, for this election, we had 11 states that reported uh, votes out. Uh, in Kentucky, James Madison picked up 2,679 votes, or 98%, to Charles Pickney's 54, uh, with a margin of 2,625 votes, or 96%. In Maryland, he picked up 15,336 votes, to Charles Pickney's 8,886 votes, a difference of 26%. In New Hampshire, Charles Pickney uh, did defeat James Madison with 14,085 votes uh, to 12,793, or a difference of just under 5%. In New Jersey, uh, Madison picked up 18,670 votes to Charles Pickney's 14,687 votes, a difference of just under 12%. In North Carolina, James Madison picked up 8,822 votes to Charles Pickney's 7,523 for a difference of just right about 7.5%. Uh, in Ohio, Madison picked up 3,645 votes to Charles Pickney's 1,174 votes. Interesting uh, to note that James Monroe also picked up uh, 1,174 votes, um, but James Madison still won the state for 41 with by 41%. And Pennsylvania, uh, Madison won easily by 56, uh, well, just about 57%, uh, just under 43,000 votes to Charles Pickney's 11,735 votes. Rhode Island was won by Charles Pickney by just under 7%, picking up 3,072 votes to 2,692. In Tennessee which we don't have percentages, which probably means we don't have the full vote. 
But James Madison picked up 1,016 votes to Charles Pickney's 11. Just 11. And then in Virginia, uh, he, of course, won his home state by 61%, garnering 15,683 to Charles Pickney's 761 and James Monroe's 3,505. So again, the closest state in this was New Hampshire, uh, which Pickney won by just under 5%. And then two states, Rhode Island, won by Pickney, North Carolina, won by Madison, all came under 10%. All right, so that is it for the 1808 election. We are now going to move on to the seventh quadrennial presidential election, which does see James Madison running for re-election and also dealing with the War of 1812. All right, forecasters, if you haven't heard about Anchor, and by now you should have, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain a few details. First of all, it's free. It's never going to cost you anything to make a podcast on Anchor FM. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more. You can also make money straight from your podcast with no minimum uh, listenership. And it's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Now, if you're interested in making your own podcast like I've been doing and like some of my friends and family have been doing, you need to download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. All right, so we are moving on to the 1812 election, the seventh quadrennial presidential election. A lot of things going on with this election, including the War of 1812 and James Madison's uh, re-election bid. Now, in this election, and I just just want to quickly note, uh, from the 1808 election, uh, saw a turnout of 36.8%, which was up 13% from the previous election. And this election, uh, we are seeing 40.4% of the electorate uh, voting, which is up 3.6%. I just do want to do a quick check to see if that was the highest to this point. Yeah, it's the highest by by quite a bit. And, and actually, the election of 1808 was the previous highest, I believe. Yeah, 1808 was the previous highest. I mean, you know, we're talking 40%, which is, is not great. But it's not really that far off from what we see today, usually garnering somewhere between 50 and 60%. Uh, There are 217 members of the Electoral College, which means we have new states added. And the number of Electoral College votes needed to win is 109. So let's look at the states uh, that were added in if, instead of just having to look at a map, which I guess I'm going to have to. Because there's a lot going on with this election. And I can go ahead and tell you just going through it. We're actually going to have less states um, showing or having any history of their elections. 
but it looks like we've we have one state added. A little bit more excited than I needed to on this one. Uh, Louisiana becomes a state during this time. Uh, we also have non-voting members of the Indiana Territory, Michigan Territory, Illinois Territory, Indiana. Oh, there's two Indiana Territories. Um, what would become initially, eventually, Indiana the state, and then another piece of Indiana Territory, which eventually would become the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Then we have the Mississippi Territory, which encompasses Mississippi and Alabama, and then Missouri Territory, which is basically all of the Louisiana Territory outside of Louisiana. So let's get down to the nominees. Nominees were, of course, James Madison, uh, the Democratic-Republican ticket, and the Witt Clinton, also of the Democratic-Republican uh, ticket, although he was aligned with the Federalist. Their running mates uh, for James Madison was Elbridge uh, Jerry, for Gary, and then for DeWitt Clinton was Jared Ingersoll. Uh, again, this is right as the War of eighteen twelve really starts uh, to get going. Uh, it was the election itself was held on Friday, October thirtieth, to Wednesday, December second of eighteen twelve. And of course, James Madison does get reelected as president. Now, this was here. Here's the thing, and this kind of shows you how the Federalist Party is already at this point starting to die out. That the two main men running for the election, the two men that face that would face off against each other, are both Democratic Republican candidates. Uh, there was not a Federalist nominee, uh, though they did late in the game around September tried to get a Federalist ticket put together, but they just couldn't. Uh, but it was felt that uh, DeWitt Clinton, uh, who was running against James Madison, could probably pick up those Federalist votes uh, to take down James Madison as president. And in actuality, he just about did as far as the popular vote. Uh, he did win the electoral vote kind of Really, I wouldn't I wouldn't say blowout fashion, but it, it was not really all that close. He won uh, by 31 electoral votes. But I did my I don't think I did them. Yeah, 39 electoral votes. Uh, but the popular vote, he only won by 2.8 percent. So the election of 1808 was the closest election uh, to this point in American history. Now, DeWitt Clinton, you may recognize that last name. Uh, he is the uncle of former Vice President George Clinton. Uh, he did decide, uh, George Clinton did, decide to challenge Madison for the party's 1808 presidential nomination. So obviously, if he's going to challenge James Madison for the presidency in 1808, he's no longer going to be Vice President. So with that background knowledge... And take a quick break and then we'll talk about the electoral and the popular vote. All right, so moving on to the actual election itself, 
of course, uh, as I previously mentioned, uh, James Madison was renominated for president with Elbridge Gary or Jerry uh, taking over for the vice president part. Uh, Eldridge Gary was, of course, the governor of Massachusetts between 1810 and 1812. Um, others running were DeWitt Clinton, George Clinton's nephew. And I did uh, misspeak in the last segment um, that Vice President George Clinton, uh, though he did initially challenge Madison for the Democratic Republic, uh, Republican Party ticket, uh, the reason he did not get the nomination uh, or did not appear to run again as vice president is that he actually passed away on April 20th of 1812. Uh, so it didn't leave a void uh, for Elbridge Gary to come in. Now again, there was no official Federalist Party ticket, though Jared Ingersoll, who was the Attorney General of Pennsylvania, uh, was nominated for the vice presidential part of the ticket, which he would become the de facto vice presidential candidate along with DeWitt Clinton. Now, in the first caucus uh, balloting for the presidential ticket, uh, James Madison easily won, getting 81 of the 82 votes. On the vice presidential ballot, uh, John Langdon did receive 64, which Elbridge Gary actually came in at 16. Uh, but Langdon didn't get the required number of votes in order to become the vice presidential nominee, so they had to do a second caucus, which Elbridge Gary won easily with 74 votes. Now we move on to the Electoral College. And uh, DeWitt Clinton, which was running as a Democratic-Republican but aligned with the Federalists, did pick up almost the entirety of the Northeast, picking up all of Massachusetts' 22 electoral votes, Rhode Island's 4, Connecticut's 9, New Jersey's 8, Delaware's 4, 5 of Maryland's 11, and New York's 29 electoral votes. When we look at James Madison and the Democratic-Republican Party, uh, he did win Vermont's eight electoral votes and then pretty much carried the basket from there. Uh, one, Pennsylvania's 25, six, uh, Maryland's 11, Ohio's seven, Virginia's 25, Kentucky's 12, Tennessee's eight, North Carolina's 15, South Carolina's 11, Georgia's eight, and Louisiana, which is their first election, his, uh, their three. That got James Madison the 128 electoral votes to DeWitt Clinton's 89. Uh, Rufus King did receive some popular votes, but did not receive any electoral votes. On the vice presidential side, Elbridge Gary, uh, and I, I do apologize, uh, James Madison needed 109 electoral votes to win. He picked up 128. On the vice presidential side, the vice president also needed to pick up 109 Elbridge Gary picked up 128 to Jared Ingersoll's 86. Um, this has got... Oddly enough, uh, Elbridge Gary was actually given also three electoral votes on DeWitt Clinton's uh, ballot. And then William R. Davey, who ran with Rufus King as a Federalist, did not receive any. 
And as always, the recap on how the states chose their electoral votes. Uh, Connecticut, Delaware, Georgia, Louisiana, New Jersey, New York, North and South Carolina, and Vermont all chose their electors by the state legislature. New Hampshire, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, and Virginia. Uh, their electors were chosen by voters statewide. Kentucky, Maryland, and Tennessee all chose their electors by dividing the state into electoral districts with one elector chosen per district by the votes of that district. And then Massachusetts, apparently missing the old ways of choosing electors, went back to their old way of doing it by choosing two electors uh, by voters statewide and then one elector per congressional district being chosen by the voters of that district. So we move on to the popular vote. And again, even though it was a very close vote, with Madison only getting 50.4% of the total vote to Clinton's 47.6, we only have eight states uh, whose information we still have at this point. Uh, Madison picked up 95% of Kentucky's votes and won the state by 90%. He also won Maryland uh, with a total of 51.76%, uh, narrowly beating out the um, Wit Clinton by 3.5%. The Wit did win Massachusetts, getting 64.9% or 96% of that state's votes, winning by 29.92%. He also won New Hampshire, hitting 56.05%, beating. Madison by 12%. James Madison won Ohio by 38.42%, hitting 69.21%. He also won Pennsylvania by 25.2%, hitting 62.6% of the vote. And then DeWitt Clinton won Rhode Island by 31%, hitting 65.93%. And then in Virginia, Madison defeated King by 46%, hitting 73.04%. DeWay Clinton was not on any ballots in Virginia. So, yeah, that that's it for the 6th and 7th quadrennial elections. Uh, just to give a little bit of a preview of the next show. Um, making sure of this. We're, we're still very much deeply rooted in the Democratic Republican control of the White House but technically when they reform themselves as the Democratic Party they hold until 1840 so they started this in 1800 and they're going to carry it for 36 years as a Democratic, Democratic Republican than Democratic Party uh, but the next election the two elections that we'll be covering and it will probably be even a shorter election uh, are the 8th and 9th quadrennial presidential elections the 8th being in 1816 between James Monroe Democratic Republican and Rufus King the, uh, the Federalist and then in 1820 which is the 9th quadrennial presidential election James Monroe was actually unopposed. Um, just want to quickly see. 
this was this would become the third and last no it was, sorry the third presidential election where the opponent uh, the person who won the presidency uh, ran virtually unopposed the first two being of course George Washington it was also the last election where the person being elected president comes from the revolution generation so that's what we'll have next week up next is my final thought Hello, forecasters. This is Michael Hendricks. Still looking for supporters out there anywhere in the internet universe. And did you know that you could be a supporter of this podcast for as little as 99 cents a month? Or if you want to be a little generous, you can go to $4.99 a month. Or if you want to be very generous, you can go up to $9.99 a month. All you need to do is go to anchor.fm forward slash forecast. That is P-R-E-Z forecast. Select the amount that you want to send me each month to help me with this podcast and make it even better each time I come out. Go to that website. You can also leave me a message. It is an audio message. If you say something funny, I may even put it on the air. That is anchor.fm forward slash press forecast. So your support today. And now for my final thought. On on Wednesday, uh, Joe Biden became the 46th president of the United States when he was inaugurated. Also, uh, with that, Kamala Harris was inaugurated as vice president. Uh, and what's so important in that is that she is the 49th vice president of the United States and the first woman. Not only the first woman to hold this office, but the first black woman to hold this office. And the first uh, woman of South Asian descent to hold this office. Uh, So she is carrying a lot of people on her shoulders right now as Vice President of the United States. But that's not what I really want to talk about. As important as that event was, uh, if you've watched my YouTube channel, you've seen my live stream of the inauguration. But what I want to talk about tonight is my final thought are the Trumpicans who are still amazingly staying very loyal to Trump. And not only that, as they played a role in the insurrection that happened a couple of weeks ago, they they really, really do believe that they shouldn't have no repercussions to that. They they don't think they should bear any responsibility for it. Um, Honestly, and I've said this uh, and other final thoughts that all of them should be thrown out of Congress and charged with crimes. But I want to focus tonight on Raphael Ted Cruz. You know, bless his, bless his little heart, he, he just keeps trying to stay relevant. And, and maybe that's not the best choice of words. He's not trying to stay, he's, he's not trying to stay relevant, he's trying to be relevant. And apparently, the only way that he's figured out how to do this is to pick fights on Twitter with celebrities. Um, the newest one is with Seth Rogen. Uh, I won't repeat what Seth Rogen said in his tweets to Ted Cruz, but they weren't nice and they were they were curse filled, curse word filled. 
But I, I don't know why Cruz has this need to keep going after celebrities. One, the celebrities will go on with the fight with him for a couple of days and they'll move on to something different. But all that Rafael is doing when he gets into these fights with these celebrities on Twitter it is showing just how ignorant of everything to do with politics and to do with government uh, that he is. Uh, and it, it is quite amazing that he is so willing to show his ignorance about the government and how our government is supposed to be ran. Uh, then you also have Josh Hawley out of Missouri uh, who truly believes that you should not be holding him to any kind of standard on any of this, even though he is the one in the Senate, not, not Rafael Cruz, but the, but just Holly himself who started this process to try to overturn the election in the first place. Ted Cruz only assigned his name when he thought it might get him a little bit more leverage with the Trump supporters who he still believes like him for some reason even though they really don't. Uh, and then you have the two women in the House, uh, Representative Green and Representative uh, Lobart, or Lobert, uh, who is now being called Kubert because of her ties to QAnon. None of these people really should be in Congress. But really... Uh, Honestly, the one who definitely should not be in Congress, and I have no problem saying this, I I have long stated uh, that if you serve in politics, no matter what level it is, um, I, I called her by the wrong, wrong name, it's Representative Lauren uh, Boebert, but she's known as Kubert. I've long said that in order to serve in politics, you should have at the very least, a base knowledge of politics, a base knowledge of the Constitution to be able to serve. And you're not going to have that knowledge being a high school dropout and having a long rap sheet. Now, I believe in second chances along with everyone else, but it doesn't qualify you to run a government, and especially a federal government that you don't actually believe in. She does not believe in the federal government. She is a small government person. She thinks everything should be handled at the state. So in my mind, you know, let alone the fact that she shouldn't be serving at all. If she doesn't believe in the federal government, she should be serving in Colorado. Uh, she is also well known for coming to Congress every day, loaded up with a gun and getting pissed off. When she goes to the metal detectors and they go off and they tell her not to go any further until she does something with her gun instead of trying to take it onto the freaking house floor. This doesn't seem like a difficult thing, but it is. And our government is not going to get better. It is not going to serve the people's needs until we start electing people who actually believe in the federal government and who actually want to help people uh, instead of become Twitter famous and appear on Fox News. That, that is the Trumpican party to a T. And to finish up my final thought uh, for this Sunday night on January 24th, uh, it has been put out there 
we'll find out tomorrow for sure. Uh, but apparently tomorrow, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, as you all know, the former press secretary to Trump, and also daughter of former Arkansas Governor Mike Bubba Huckabee, is planning to announce that she is going to run for governor of Arkansas. And I've got to tell you, it's going to be a complete disaster. Because I I don't like questioning people's intelligence, but she clearly has none. And it's going to be a disaster if she wins. And here's the sad fact of the matter. She's going to win. I'll put money on it right now. I will guarantee it right now. If she does, in fact, announce tomorrow that she's running for the governor of Arkansas, she is going to win it, and she's probably going to win in a landslide. Politics in Arkansas is silly. It's sillier here in Oklahoma, but y'all got to remember that I came from Arkansas. It's it's completely one-sided in that state. And Arkansas Republicans are absolutely bowled over by celebrities and right now in that state Sarah Huckabee Sanders is the biggest celebrity they've got going so market right now Sarah Huckabee Sanders will be the next governor of Arkansas so with that I want to thank everyone for listening hope you have a good week and as always stay safe out there wear your mask anywhere you go in public stay six feet away from other people if at all possible And, you know, just have a good week. Good night.